Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you today, please open to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Today is the second sermon of our series on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So again, our text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you are able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. He says these words. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we approach your word, we acknowledge that it is truth in a world that's filled with lies. We acknowledge that you have given it to us by your goodness and grace. You have clearly taught us what we need for faith and practice in our lives. And today, Jesus, you're teaching us, you're continuing to teach us how to pray. God, unclog our ears and our minds, our hearts, that we might receive your word with gladness. Grow us in our faith, specifically grow us and teach us how we should pray to you. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, may you draw that one savingly to yourself. May they indeed see Jesus. And for believers, may we be encouraged and challenged by your word. And may we worship you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Please be seated. Well, before we get into our main text today, let's start out with the review of last week. Last week, we started our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we started by looking at an introduction to prayer and what we call the, the preface to the Lord's Prayer. So if you missed last week, here's the 60-second review of last week's sermon. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And at the very beginning of the sermon, we talked about what does the life work of Jesus have to do with prayer? And we learned that Jesus was our great high priest, and he went through the heavenly holy of holies. And when he died on the cross, that curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. That room that only the high priest could enter was hidden behind that curtain. Jesus tore it in two. And what that teaches you and me is that you and I can now have full access to God because of what Christ has done for us. That we don't need an earthly priest. You don't even need your pastor to pray for you, for you to be heard by God if you're in Jesus Christ. That you can come boldly to the throne of grace and talk to Jesus. We then learned what we call the do's and don'ts of prayer. That Jesus, before he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, teaches us that there's attitudes to put off, and attitudes to put on as we come to the Lord in prayer. The first thing he said was, put off hypocrisy. In other words, don't make prayer a show for those around you so they can see how spiritual you are. But remember what's called the privacy of prayer. Go into your own room, Jesus says. In other words, prayer is between you and God. It's not a showing for other people. Remember that as you pray. Then Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases having repetitive words, because God's not impressed with the amount of words that you say, but rather speak with your heart and your mind, put your 
your thought into praying because God knows what you need even before you ask. Be mindful and thoughtful as you pray. So the do's and don'ts of prayer. Then thirdly, we learn the model of prayer, the example. And we saw that the model is God first, man second. That as we look at the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it teaches us to acknowledge God first. We're going to see it today. Your name, your kingdom, your will, O God, that's first in prayer. And then secondly, we get to man's needs. We talk about man's daily bread, man's temptations. Those are second in prayer. That's the model Jesus gives us. And then finally last week, that last point, the preface. We looked at our Father in heaven. And we saw that God is a good, good Father. As Lad said a moment ago, He's Abba. He's Daddy. And He calls us as His children to come to Him. He's so close and personal. He sees you as His child if you know Him as Savior. But He's also transcendent. He's in heaven which teaches us he's infinite, he's powerful, he's, eter- he's eternal. But isn't it amazing that the same God who is infinite is also imminent? He's with us in all things. That's what we learned last week. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, Pastor Adam, why don't you preach every sermon in 60 seconds like that, right? <laughs> don't get used to that. <laughs> but I tell you all of that because that's the background to where we are today. Today, Jesus is taking us to the next step. He's continuing to teach us how to pray. And we're in that part of God first in prayer. Today, Jesus is teaching us what we call the first petition, which is, hallowed be thy name. I know many of you are reading the book by R.C. Sproul on the Lord's Prayer as we go through this. Um, if, if, you, if you don't have that, I can tell you how to get a copy. It'd be great to read as we go through this uh, series on prayer. But I was reading through the chapter on hallowing God's name this week, and uh, Dr. Sproul told a story. He said, hey, do you remember 30 years ago when you watched TV or when you watched a movie? 30 years ago, you didn't hear God's name taken in vain on TV or in the movies like you do today, Right? It wasn't as abused 30 years ago as it is today. But he told a story. He said, recently, and this is when he wrote the book, recently, um, so a few years ago, he goes, I watched a 30-minute sitcom program on TV. And in 30 minutes, God's name was blasphemed 58 times. 58 times. And her culture has become so used to that, we don't even notice anymore. But 58 times in a 30-minute program, the Lord's name was taken in vain. Oh, how times have changed, even in the past 30 years. Beloved, Jesus is coming to us today, and he's teaching us not only how to pray, but how to live in regards to the name of God. And specifically today, he is teaching us as his people to hallow, to revere, to make holy the name of God. Hallowed be thy 
name. Jesus is teaching us that the name of God matters when we acknowledge him, how we revere him, when we speak of him, when we teach about him. The name of God is to be held high. If you have your bulletins with you today, you can look on the back of your bulletin. Today's sermon breaks down into three main parts concerning the name of God. The first part is this, what I call no fear equals to the fact that God's name will not be hallowed. Secondly, we should note Jesus' purpose and that his purpose should be our purpose. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the Old Testament. The third commandment that Lad led us through when we read those catechism questions, that the Old Testament agrees about hallowing the name of God. But let's first look at that first point. If there's no fear, then God's name will not be hallowed. We're going to put a slide on the screen. Many of you know Dr. Rod Colbertson. Dr. Colbertson is a professor over at RTS Charlotte, over there near uh, South Park Mall. Dear friend of mine. I've known him for 20 years. He was my boss, and I worked at admissions. He is a professor at RTS. Two years ago, he was here when I was installed. He was the man who preached that sermon, if you were here that day. A couple weeks ago, many of our leaders met with Dr. Culbertson for a leadership event. But a couple weeks ago, I looked on Facebook, and Dr. Culbertson had this quote on his Facebook wall. Let's read it. He says, sadly, I have concluded that our culture does not understand two vital doctrines, the holiness of God and the fear of the Lord. About a year ago here at Redeemer, I started a series on Proverbs. Do you remember that study, specifically that first chapter of Proverbs? In chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, what is that fear of the Lord? What's he talking about? And we learned that that fear, it's not a terror or a fright of God. That's not what he's talking about. But the fear of God is having a reverent awe of God and a worshipful response to God for who he is and what he has done. And as we learned, it is impossible to revere God and to worship God without knowing God. That the only way we can revere and worship God is to know God personally, and the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to get right to understand the fear of God is knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, and our God. Do you know Jesus? If you came here today and you've never trusted Christ, I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to spend an eternity with hell and that you can know God personally, directly, and you can pray to this God. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life. He will save you from your sins so that you can know God, so that you can properly fear and revere and worship God. But the thing is, we look around this world right now and we see no fear of God anywhere. 
Why? It's because people don't know God. The fear of God has been greatly diminished in our government, in our communities, in our schools. And sadly to say, the fear of God has been diminished in the church. We live in a world where God has been regulated simply to the man upstairs who's really not all that powerful and he's lost control of so many things and he's not good all the time. And for many people, this God is an afterthought. In fact, for many people, he's no thought at all. The whole idea of a creator-redeemer has been discarded. It's been tossed to the wind. And in our society, we see the effects of having no fear of God. We see the effects of having no reverence for a creator. You see, when there's no fear of God, God's name is not hallowed in the womb of the mother. When the image of God inside of her is forsaken and it leads to the murder of abortion. When God is not feared, his name is not hallowed in our government. And our politicians disregard a wise and all good God who gave us a perfect law. And they start making laws having nothing to do with God who wrote the perfect law. When there is no fear of God, God's name is not hallowed in our families. When parents, when we refuse to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, when there is no fear of God in the church... Pastors and elders who do not proclaim the truth about God for him to be revered. The church dies. You have theology that's an inch deep and a mile wide. And no one knows anything about God. No one knows what to believe or what not to believe. There's no such thing as right or wrong. And this is happening, beloved, because everybody's lost the whole concept of the holiness of God. Of the fear of God. No one knows God. Paul, when he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 3, he's talking about a world of Jews and Gentiles who have have come to the point in their lives where they have rejected God. And he says, there's no fear of God in their eyes. And that leads to a society described in the book of Judges, the very last verse of the book. Many of you know it. In In those days... There was no king in Israel, so what happened? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. When there's no fear of God, God's name will not be hallowed. Beloved, you and I are called in Proverbs to fear the Lord our God. Again, it doesn't mean to have a terrible fright of this God, but to have an awe of who he is, have a worshipful response to what he's done. We cannot lose the fear of God. We need to teach our children the fear of God. And that only comes, it only starts through a relationship with Jesus. And we need to teach them, as Isaiah learned in that great sixth chapter, that God is holy, holy, holy. He is above all, subject to no one in majesty and power and might. Let's fear the Lord our God. Secondly, 
I say that Jesus' purpose should be our purpose. We're going to put another text on the screen. This is John chapter 12. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify what? Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Look at the text. Jesus clearly tells us his purpose. I have come to glorify your name. Number one on Jesus' list was to glorify his Father's name, to revere God. And Jesus did it in his life up to that point. And this text says he was getting ready to continue to do that in his life as he headed to the cross. Dr. Kelly, my professor of theology and seminary, asked this question. He said, if Jesus' supreme purpose was to glorify God, Shouldn't ours be the same? Of course it should. In our verse today, Matthew 6, 9, Jesus tells us it should. He says, pray, hallowed be thy name. Remember, to hallow means to praise and to prize to sanctify. To sanctify means to set apart in your life Something, in this case, to revere. Something of reverence. Something of holiness. Something of goodness. Let God's name be holy. Well, how do we do that? How do you and I hallow the name of God? This morning, I want to look at three simple ways to hallow the name of God. First of all, you can follow on your outline. We hallow the name of God with our whole heart. Put another verse on the screen. This is Psalm chapter 9. Verse 1, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Whole heart. That means give God your full attention. Everything that you are. Most of you know I coached varsity football for 10 years up in Lake Norman. I was defensive, I was defensive coordinator for our team, but when we broke apart in practice, I took the linebackers. Defensive backs were over here. Defensive linemen were over here. I took the linebackers. And we'd, I, I would teach them certain drills, go over how to tackle, how to read, how to fill, scrape, pursue, all the things linebackers do. And there were times where I'd bring my guys together and I'd want to teach them something, how to do a specific task. And I found that I was, as I was talking to my players, not all of them really cared what I was saying. <laughs> I had some guys over here looking at squirrels, climbing the trees, had some guys kicking the dirt. You know, I had some guys messing with their helmets. They didn't care what I had to say. That bothered me. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and they just ignore you? That's never happened to you, right? We don't like that, right? We don't like we want their full attention. So as a coach, I started doing something different. I would say this: take a knee, eyes on me. Take a knee, eyes on me. So every one of us has the same posture. We're all on our knees. 
And every eye, I waited as a coach, every eye had to be on me before I would address them. Take a knee, eyes on me. What's the application here? God wants our undivided attention. God wants our eyes on Him. But what happens when we come to Him in prayer? What do we start doing? We start getting distracted. We start watching squirrels run up a tree. We start playing in the dirt. You might not mess with your helmet, but you might mess with your iPhone. This world is full of distractions. It's full of distractions. But what does God say in this verse? I want your whole heart. How do you hallow my name? I want everything you got. Take a knee, eyes on me, God says. Take a knee, eyes on me. For some of my players, that's hard to do, even in that posture. Do you know why? Inertia. Four years ago, I had the chance to teach physics at the same school. And as a physics teacher, one of the things that I taught was the law of inertia. What is inertia? It's resistance to change, right, Howard? It's resistance to change. An object in motion will stay in motion. An object at rest will stay at rest unless acted upon by a force. Inertia is resistance to change. What's the application? If we're half-hearted and God wants our whole heart, there's going to be an inertia problem to get here because we are going to resist that change. We're going to resist being wholehearted. We're going to resist being completely devoted to God. We might move it from 50% to 75%, but guess what? God says, I want your whole heart. I don't want 75%. I want everything you are. And we have to fight against that inertia that resists us to change to give God our whole heart. Here's what Calvin says about inertia. Listen to this. We ought to hate our inertia and seek the aid of the Holy Spirit whenever we want to praise God. Our hearts are so cold and we so badly need a burning desire to praise God. If giving God your whole heart is a problem of inertia, it's resistance to change. Ask the Lord to help you with that. He's there to help you with that. Lord, give me the strength to give you my whole heart because I know, God, that's what you want. God says that's how we hallow his name. We give him our whole heart. Secondly, we hallow his name through praise. Some people say, Adam, how do I praise God? How do I praise God? Does it just mean I lift up my hand and worship? Is that what that means? I want to encourage you, praise God the way the Scriptures teach you to praise God. The most wonderful gift God ever gave us, I mean, He gave us His Son, that's the most wonderful gift, but one of the most wonderful gifts is His Word, the book that many of you are holding in your hands right now. That is a guide on how to praise God, specifically the Psalms. The Psalms were the hymn book of Israel. They would sing these praises to God. 
If you read a psalm of day, that's going to teach you how to praise the Lord. We just learned in our series on psalms that some psalms are, are specific hymns. Their whole purpose is simply to praise the Lord. Pray those psalms to the Lord and apply them to your hearts. But not just the psalms. You can pray the whole Bible. For instance, if you're reading Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, praise Him for being the creator of all things. The one who was so powerful, who spoke the world into existence. If you're reading John 3-16, praise Him for sending His only Son to die for your sin. If you're reading the book of Exodus, praise Him that He is a God who delivers his people. If you're reading Jonah, praise him that he is a God who will discipline his people. Apply the word of God to your prayers. Easter's coming up. As you read the Easter story, praise him for his triumphant resurrection. Dr. Kelly continues to say things like this. He says, praising God takes us out of ourselves and puts the focus on God. Did you catch that? Praising God takes you out of yourself and puts the focus on God, and that's how you hallow the name of God. Coming out of yourself and looking to Him and to Him only. Thirdly, praise Him through obedience. If the prayers of our lips are disconnected from the actions of our lives, we've got a problem with hallowing the name of God. For when we pray, we're asking for God's will to be done. We're asking that we come under the rule and the reign of Christ. And if our actions are disconnected from our prayers, that's not hallowing the name of God. You remember the verse we looked at just a moment ago, John 12 God spoke to his son and said, you've glorified my name and you're going to continue to glorify it? God was talking about the obedience of Jesus, that through Jesus' obedience, he had glorified the name of God and Jesus is going to continue to obey God, which is going to be glorifying to God. So the question comes for us, are we glorifying God? Are we hallowing his name through our Obedience. I said the word hallow means to praise or to sanctify. Sanctify, the word picture there is setting something apart for a particular purpose. My question is, has Christ been set apart to be put on the throne of your heart as King and Lord? That's a question we all have to examine every single day. This is lordship, what I'm talking about here. Has Christ been set apart as the Lord of your heart? Or is he there for 50% of things, maybe 75% of things? Christ is challenging all of us today. I want your whole heart. I don't want part of you, most of you. I want all of you. He's king. And we need to praise God through our obedience to that king. This is how we hallow the name of God. Third and finally, our last point today. I say the Old Testament agrees. 
Our text is, Hallowed be thy name. In our time of catechism this morning, we read the third commandment. You know, Sproul in his book said, when God was constituting a nation there in Israel, and he gave them his top ten list, what was number three? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number three on God's top ten list to Israel had to do with the name and hallowing the name of God. And we see that the third commandment teaches us the manner in which we're to worship. And I love the way the catechism is organized because it goes through every single commandment and it tells us what God requires and what he forbids. What is the positive um, aspect to that commandment? What is the negative aspect to that commandment? You can review it in the catechism questions in your bulletin. But let's look at it that way. In the third commandment, what is God positively saying? In other words, what is he requiring in that commandment? Here it is. God is requiring his followers, his believers, to worship the Lord with reverence, with fear, with admiration and love when we use his names, his titles, and his attributes. The Bible is saying we need to be very careful as we say things or think things concerning God because God's name should be protected, it should be guarded, it should be glorified as it comes out of our mouths. But the catechism continues. Not only does it tell us what's required, it tells us what is forbidden. Because the third commandment forbidden forbids many things. Let's talk about several of them. And these are things we don't think about all the time. But it's, this is a helpful reminder of things that we might take for granted. And I think the reason, you, you, you know, that, that 30 years Sproul's talking about where the language on TV changed and the movies changed is because these things were not thought about. These things were not important because there was no fear of God. The fear of God brings us these things. Here's five. Ready? Number one. God forbids irreverent thinking about himself. You see, when the mind and the heart of man despise and hate God, that's going to lead to things coming out of the mouth. The third commandment forbids irreverent speaking of God. Saying things that don't have any reverence for his name. People who exclaim things like, good God, or oh my God, have no reverence for the name of God. They forget who they're talking about, and they might not even know who they're talking about, so there's no fear in their hearts. It forbids blasphemy, that is directly speaking anything against the names, titles, or attributes of God. It forbids irreverent attention in worship. In worship, improper laughing or sleeping or talking or conduct in the, through the ordinances of God as they're coming to us in worship. 
It forbids irreverent use of God's works, abusing God's creation for sinful purposes. Beloved, the third commandment agrees. The Old Testament agrees with what Jesus is teaching us to hallow the name of God. A sermon like this forces us to examine many questions. Here's a few for all of us to to ponder. The Lord asks us to consider these questions. Number one, do we have a proper fear of God? Do we have a reverent of who He is and what He has done? Do we have a worshipful response to Him? The only way that can happen is through Jesus Christ. So again, I come to you, first of all, with this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? He loves you. He died for you. He will be your Savior today. Repent of your sin. Come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, that you can have the proper fear of God. Secondly, is Jesus' purpose also your purpose? His purpose was to glorify the name of his Father. How do we do that with our whole heart? It means we've got to deal with the problem of inertia. There are, certain, there are certain things going the wrong way. We need to ask the Spirit of God, Lord, through your grace, through your strength, help me to correct that, Lord, in my life, that I might give you my whole heart. We do it through praise. Use the Scriptures to help you with that. We do it through obedience. Because the actions of our lives should be tied to the prayers that's on our lips. Jesus' actions were, so should ours. And then lastly, something I didn't talk about in that third commandment, but let's talk about it now. Did you hear the warning? The third commandment says, The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And the Bible teaches us that even though breakers of that commandment may receive no punishment from men, they must still answer to an almighty God. God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Be sure of this. Therefore, repent. Fear the Lord. Hallow his name. And let us worship him in a manner that's prescribed in his word. And as all of us begin, as we prepare to go into that building that's two miles down the road, how can the Lord's Prayer teach us to pray for that building? I'll give you three short ways. Let's pray that that building might be a place where we regularly hallow and revere the name of God. That we have a proper fear of God as we go into that building. Secondly, may the purpose of that building To be a place where we praise and give God our whole hearts. And then third and finally, may that building be a place where the manner of our worship, remembering those things that are commanded, remembering those things that are forbidden in the third commandment, the manner of our worship be pleasing and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please.
Lord, inertia many times in life gives us so many issues. We're going one way, and Lord, you start to tell us that we need to go another. And that resistance to change is there. We acknowledge you, we acknowledge that to you, and we ask for your help with it. Father, rid us of any half-heartedness. Rid us of any poor inertia. Rid us of um, things that we're doing that are forbidden by your commands. Forgive us for not having a fear of God, for not recognizing the holiness of God. Let us be the salt of the earth as it involves the name of God to hold it high, to esteem it high, the place of honor that it deserves. And Lord, do a work in our hearts that we learn to pray as you have taught us to pray. Lord Jesus, hallowed be your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.